Hi everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Maro Cozy, co-founder and CEO at Emitwise. Now that we're 28 episodes in, you've heard all of the areas that are contributing to the climate problem set, right? Agriculture, transportation, energy. I mean, there's a long list. And as more and more people and companies come to grips about the urgency of this problem, they're looking for ways to solve it, to address it in their daily lives and in their companies at large. But that's exactly the issue. Where do we even start? Where can we identify the problem areas in our daily lives and in our companies so that we can actually start addressing them? And this is where Emitwise comes in. Emitwise is a software tool that allows businesses to track and reduce carbon emissions across all of their operations and supply chains. Everything from production through fulfillment of whatever product or service they're delivering. So that now, companies and team leaders can identify all the different inputs in their company, the associated carbon costs of those inputs, and start addressing them one by one. And in the episode, Mara and I discuss how exactly they make this happen, how carbon accounting works and filters into a software tool, how some of these macro trends are affecting Emitwise, like the Paris Climate Agreement, some of the different regulatory milestones that are coming down the pike in the airline industry and shipping, and in different countries around the world, and how exactly companies are using Emitwise today. So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Maro Cozy, co-founder and CEO at Emitwise. Maro, welcome to the show. Thank you, Peter. Very, very happy to be here. So, Maro, let's start with the basics. What is Emitwise? Yeah, so in a nutshell, Emitwise is a software solution that helps large corporates track and manage their carbon footprint. I always make the sort of analogy to accounting software that allows businesses to understand how they're spending their money and hopefully helps them expand that more effectively. We like to do the same for companies' environmental impact, you know, their, their carbon footprint. So we tell them where their footprint is and how they can effectively reduce that footprint, if you would. And before we dive into your background, I just want to better understand, why is this a problem that needs to be solved now? I mean, you know, for starters, there's definitely a climate crisis. We are really, really, really running very late in this race to try to save humankind from catastrophic effects of climate change. So I think broadly, we just need a lot of climate-based solutions, but in particular when it comes to carbon footprinting, which is, you know, this notion of understanding where one's carbon footprint is, it's the most fundamental step uh, before being able to take action, right? The good old saying of if you can't measure it, you can't manage it really, really kicks in here. If you don't understand where your environmental impact is, you'll never be able to go out and actually mitigate that. And so that's the problem that that we're trying to solve. So... What I love exploring in these conversations is the actual eureka moment, because there aren't many people, A, that are working on solving a part of the climate problem set explicitly, but then two, more specifically, also building out accounting functionality that solves the problems of understanding your your footprint and then addressing them accordingly. So let's rewind. Can you just walk us through the story of what you were doing before Emitwise and what that Eureka moment was. 
So I am one of three co-founders of Emitwise. My two other amazing co-founders are called Ben and Eduardo. And Eduardo and I actually grew up together. We're both South American. We lived in Chile together uh, throughout our high school years. And to be frank, we've always been a little bit on the hippie side when it comes to really caring about the planet. It was just a very normal topic of conversation in our childhood. What's going on with climate change? Why, aren't, why isn't anybody doing anything about it? And in particular, in our sophomore year of high school, we took a physics class together where we learned the sort of the mechanics behind climate change, the feedback loops, you know, from a physics point of view, why is this happening? And that really solidified in us a very serious sense of concern that if there wasn't serious action taken very quickly, this really would be catastrophic. And it took many, many years until we sort of were able to reunite. You know, we both went off to college and in different countries and we stayed in touch, but we you know, weren't living in the same place. But finally, in, in March of, of last year, we both landed in London by, you know, almost serendipitously. And we went to live together in the same house. And that's also how we met our third co-founder, Ben. And to be frank, we just started having conversations over beers, you know, hanging out in our backyard about what we wanted to do next with our career, what we wanted to focus on. And I guess the three of us at the time really had the privilege of being able to take a step back and ask ourselves, what do we want to do rather than what do we have to do? And what we wanted to do was to work on climate. It was just over casual conversations where we were trying to ask ourselves, what could we do given our skills and our experience? The three of us, we all come from backgrounds working in tech startups, software startups in particular, in one capacity or another. I personally had built a company previously um, in the AI analytics space, and then both of them had been working also with enterprise-facing tech startups. And so we sort of really understood that world very well. And we started doing research to just get a feeling for what are the biggest sources of greenhouse gases? We very quickly landed on the notion that corporates are really the starting point of the sources of emissions that are causing this climate crisis. At the end of the day, those the producers of the goods and services that we use in our day-to-day -day life are indeed the biggest emitters in the world. And so we thought, we know this world, we know how to work with other type of customers, we understand how to use technology to help them. Let's go and figure out what we can do. We started going out and having conversations with people in these large corporates, supply chain executives, uh, sustainability executives, uh, anybody that we could get our hands on. And we were just asking them the question, what's the single biggest thing that we could do to help you cut your emissions? How can we do that profitably so that there's a business case for you? How are you allocating budgets to this? Essentially just trying to figure out what can we do? And that's why I say this, you know, there's this sort of like four month long light bulb switches on moment because it was through these conversations that we kept hearing back this answer consistently, which was some variation of, I don't know. I don't know where my footprint is. I don't know what's the biggest thing that you can do. I don't know how we track that data. I don't know who's the team responsible for this. For me, it became very obvious that there was that sort of gap in particular for sustainability, where these corporates are just not paying the same level of attention to their environmental impact as they are you know, to their P&L, to their sales, to their supply chain. But for us, it was super obvious that they're going to have to, and they're going to have to very, very soon because of the pressure that's coming from regulators, from consumers, from the shareholders. And, and that was the libel moment. That was the Eureka moment, as you say. It, basically, about in sort of August of last year, we realized that there was a very big opportunity to help mitigate climate change by giving corporates the data on 
what their footprint is, and how can they effectively go and reduce it. So I actually saw a post that you shared a week ago, and it was an article from Bloomberg about what's coming down the pike in the European Union, where they're going to start forcing companies to report on different non-financial uh, metrics, such as sustainability risks and opportunities. So help me connect the dots here. How specifically now, now that EmitWise is available to companies everywhere, how exactly does EmitWise work and integrate into a single company's accounting workflow? Yeah, so essentially our job is to do the process of mapping a company's use of energy, materials, activities, services, etc., and to translate that into a virtual map of what that looks like from a CO2 equivalence perspective. So what is the footprint associated with that? So what does that mean? That means pulling in data, hopefully in as real time as possible, about what is that business consuming, you know, like I mentioned, from an energy point of view, but also, you know, what are the transport logistics that they are purchasing? What are the raw materials that they are purchasing? Are they generating any direct air emissions from their productions um, operations? And so we need to take in as real-time data as possible from that, and that typically comes from energy management systems that these businesses are using, ERP systems, accounting systems. And then we have a system on our side, which is really sort of a lot of the, the bulk of the work that we do from a tech point of view, which tries to automate or succeeds at automating the carbon accounting process. And that carbon accounting process consists of looking at something. For example, last week I consumed a X amount of electricity and translating that to the footprint. And there's a lot of things that are associated with that. You know, where is that energy sourced? How long did it have to travel to get to that facility? And this translates to all different types of things, right? So if I'm buying copper, you know, who's producing that copper? What region did it come from? How many kilometers did it have to travel to get to me? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so that carbon accounting process is not at all straightforward. In fact, it's very, very difficult. You need a lot of domain ex- expertise to do it, and particularly to do it in a compliant way, which is very important. And we automate that. We automate that process. So we automate the process of taking the data that is required for it, converting it into a carbon footprint equivalent. And then to be specific with you, essentially what the uh, interface of our product is, dashboards that sustainability managers can use that they log in and the second they jump in, they already see everything that they need. So for example, they see which part of or parts of my supply chain are uh, compared to other parts being carbon inefficient. Regionally, where in my operations do I have my biggest footprint so that I need to know that I need to focus in that particular area. We try to empower the sustainability managers through this data because previously without us, essentially the sustainability manager's job was mainly to actually generate this data, right? To manually do all of these processes. And so our whole pitch is let us free your time from having to process data and instead let us give you the time back so you can consume it and use it to drive carbon reduction initiatives. So all this sounds really interesting, but I, when it comes to B2B software of this nature, I know how daunting the sales cycle can be, educating the right stakeholder at the organization. So walk me through who is the core focus or who is the perfect type of customer? And then more specifically, within that customer's organization, who are you exactly reaching out to to help you spearhead 
uh, talks internally and ultimately sign off those deals? Our ideal customer today, first and foremost, is a company that is truly interested in managing their carbon footprint. We always say we don't want to be compliant software. We don't want to be reporting software. Our mission as a company is to maximize our impact in terms of mitigating climate change. And that translates to we want to work with customers that want to reduce their carbon footprint. And that really, really makes a difference. It makes a difference in the sales cycle. It makes a difference in terms of the blockers that come up when you're trying to get the access to, to data systems. You know, this is something that we, we really take to heart. And, you know, with that in mind, the, the second part of an ideal customer is how clean and structured is their data? Essentially, have they been working on pen and paper for the last decade and they're just transitioning to sort of new digital way of doing things? Or is this a forward thinking business that has well-structured systems? And even though it is inevitable to run into challenges. And at the end of the day, it's never easy to work with enterprise data systems. There certainly is a case of customers that is easier to work with than others. And because we're an early stage startup and we want to stay focused on our core mission, which is battling climate change rather than having to be focused on working through really messy data, for us, it's ideal to find those, those types of customers, if that makes sense. And, and so once you find that ideal type of customer, we like to do a hybrid of a top-down and bottoms-up approach. In terms of top-down, it really matters to engage a senior decision-maker because the reality is that what we've seen is that typically sustainability budgets aren't quite there just yet, even though they're starting to get bigger and receive more attention. But it, it's a nascent field. And so it's important that the drive to, to get the organization engaged in this, especially because it's something that requires access to some t- somewhat sensitive data, et cetera, does need to come from above. And that could be anything from the C-suite, in certain cases, CIOs or CFOs, depending on how the company is deciding to allocate this quote-unquote risk associated with climate and with the perception around the sustainability of their brand. But also in certain cases, it's sufficient just to have a high-level local director, for example, that has been given the freedom to operate and is working in a company where they have the culture of allowing sort of regional-based pilots that can then scale more globally. So having that top-down approach is important, but nothing would ever happen really with the bottoms up, without the bottoms-up approach. And the thing is that for us, and the bottoms-up, by the way, means engaging a sustainability manager, which is really easy for us because sustainability managers are pissed off <laughs> and they're tired and they, they, they've had to spend the last 10 years doing all this manual work. Nobody's really paid much attention to them. And all of a sudden, over the last 12 months, they've been put a bunch, a bunch of work has been put on their laps by C-suite, by boards that are saying, you know, we need to become carbon neutral in the next 10 years, make it happen. And they're wondering, well, how am I going to make this happen if I don't even have the time to look into what we should do because I spend all my time crunching through data, working on large spreadsheets. You know, I don't have the resources available to me. What am I supposed to do? And so for us, they become a very powerful force. They are definitely our allies. And we, you know, we're most more than anything focused on pleasing them because we really see sustainability teams in general as a key, key, key driver in this transition phase that we are, we are in now. Wow. So, I want to get your opinion on something because while I think the general direction and ethos of regulation is important, right? We need to have like the UN guidelines. We have the Paris Paris Agreement. We have all these um, really compelling developments that are happening 
in a bipartisan fashion across multiple countries. But the thing that concerns me is, and this is why the opportunity with Emitwise is so interesting, is um, if companies are going to get penalized for not making sufficient progress and understanding their footprint and then making adjustments accordingly, but they don't have the tools to do so in the first place. <laughs> like, what is your general thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, that's the sort of like dog chasing its own tail problem in, in this case. I mean, you know, in particular, when it comes to things like carbon markets and carbon credits, you know, when we started at Midwise, to be frank, we weren't industry experts. We, we knew very little about this. And that was the first question we asked ourselves. Like, how can we be taxing companies on their footprint if, we don't really have a general consensus on how to audit the way that they're tracking their footprints, for example. I mean, there's some high-level consensus, but it's certainly not to the degree where anybody who knows anything about this would go out and say, like, oh, we have this figured out. So I have a couple of thoughts. My first one, and this is more of a personal thought rather than I'd say something that necessarily the company itself stands for, but I definitely think that as a society, we really messed this one up and we should have woken up to this a longer, a, a much longer ago. I think it's a real shame that we didn't because the consequences and the implications, it's easy to chat about now. We're comfortably sitting in a room recording a podcast, but we're talking about true, very, very tangible impact to billions of people around the world. And honestly, I'm a little bit disappointed in how long it's taken to get. So I, I think we all need to take a good, hard look in the mirror and ask ourselves, first of all, how can we do better already? And, and second of all, how do we ensure that next time humankind faces a crisis like this, hopefully not in our lifetimes or, you know, not in many, many lifetimes, but I'm sure there will be another one. How are we going to face it and react in time? Because the science has been out there for a while. So that's my first thought. My second thought is that luckily, I think we are going to come to a consensus very quickly. I think there are, at the end of the day, guidelines ad adopted internationally. For example, the GHG protocol is internationally adopted, and it's sort of the, the go-to manual as to how to do carbon accounting. And even though it leaves a lot of question marks and it leaves a, little, a lot of room for um, creative carbon accounting, as we call it, <laughs> which essentially is sort of like shift the numbers in the direction that benefits you, systems like Emitwise, but not just us, a variety of systems across the industry will make it a lot easier for auditors to do their job. It'll make it a lot easier for companies that really care to be more transparent and to sort of lead in the way and saying, here's how I do things, you know, check my calculations, check the data that I am using. Here are the assumptions that I'm having to make. And you already see a lot of the leading companies publishing this type of information in their annual reports. So I am hopeful that we will move quickly. I am really excited about seeing the speed with which we have started moving once we sort of got it together. But I am disappointed at that it took so long to get to this stage. Mm -hmm. I want to zoom out in the industry at large because I think something that I'm, I'm always interested in hearing, given your position as a leader in the industry, is A, what do you feel like is the biggest problem outside of the actual carbon footprint accounting that uh, faces humanity today? And then two, what do you think are the most compelling moonshot projects and startups that are taking it on head on? That's an excellent question. A really excellent question. We've thought about this a lot 
before starting Emitwise because of this question of sort of, you know, what's the biggest, most important thing that we can do? First and foremost, I'm sort of of the thought camp that we do need a sort of quote unquote miracle technology to really, really get out of this problem. I think humankind will survive with the level of progress we're making now. But if we want to stay clear of the two degree mark, I mean, this is not my opinion. It's the scientific community's opinion that we really do need some level of crowd, you know, breakthrough technology that we haven't seen yet. I don't want to throw out any names of companies per se, because to be frank, I, I haven't kept up enough in the space over the last couple of months to be comfortable saying like, this is the one company to look at. But the two big areas that for me are almost certainly the most interesting are carbon capture and innovative methods for energy generation. At the end of the day, energy is the bloodline of earth and humankind and safe, cheap, clean energy is the single most important thing that we can create. And I don't know whether that's through breakthroughs in nuclear, through just a completely new kind of energy generation that we can't even imagine now, or actually just by being able to unlock new scales and efficiency in the deployment of solar that allow it to be so, so, so cheap and low footprint that it makes sense as sort of like the single source of energy for the world. I don't know what the solution is, but I think anybody out there that has the technical chops um, to try something new should be working on energy because it's a hard problem, but the returns are basically infinite, right? I mean, we're talking about, once again, like solving the lifeline of, of the planet. And then in the side of carbon capture, I just think it's a critical tool. We need it, right? It's sort of like we've overfilled the tub. And if we don't start draining some water out, we, we won't have enough time to come up with these breakthrough technologies. Something that we always say as a team in Emitwise is we're not going to solve climate change. Our part in this journey is to give us time to cut the world some, some slack um, and give ourselves a time to find those breakthrough technologies. And I see carbon capture as doing the same buying us some time. So I want to ask a couple more questions at a high level before we send off. It's, I, I love asking uh, the question around hiring, especially at these early stages. You know, when, when you're just getting started, you and your co-founders are wearing all different types of hats. And, and you're really, there, it's, there's not someone that's a single engineer because the engineer is also doing customer support and sales and all of the above. But now that Emitwise is, you know, I know you're running pilots, you're um, out in the world. Who have been your first hires? And then looking forward, you know, as you think about developing the team, what are the types of personnel that you think are going to be critical over the next year or two years at Emitwise? Yeah, absolutely. This is something that we've been thinking about so much, actually, these last couple of days. So it's really fresh in my mind. Well, look, the first couple of hires were actually really, really obvious for us. It was somebody, you know, a full stack developer with extensive experience in the types of technical challenges that we have to tackle, which are this sort of quite unique combination of know-how around machine learning and production machine learning, but also dealing with enterprise data systems, legacy data, you know, just like nasty systems that have no way of plugging in through a nice API. That, that sort of level of work, you know, that was critical for us to have from the get-go. And Ben, our CTO, uh, who's a self-taught full-stack engineer, your classic 10Xer that you can't just keep up with, 
He's the kind of person that will tell you, oh, like, I'll figure it out. But at the end of the day, we're dealing with big customers. And we knew that from the get-go, we needed to have a sturdy solution that they could trust. So our first hire was a guy called George, who is an incredible, just absolutely ridiculously incredible engineer that happened to fit the bill perfectly. And more importantly for us, to be honest, he came to us with a mission pitch, you know, telling us like, I want to work on climate. I want to use my skills for that. Like I found you guys because it seems like you're looking for someone like me. It was honestly sort of a match made in heaven, (laughs) if you would. And then the second one, and again, we always knew we needed this and we needed this ASAP, was someone with deep domain expertise. Because we've always been very quick to say, we'll learn as fast as possible. And it's important that we learn and we become experts in what we're doing. But we are not about to pretend that we can cover 12 years, 15 years of experience in six months. And the work that we're doing, it is very important that it's done correctly, that the carbon accounting actually follows the protocols we that we need to abide by, that we treat data in the way that it should be treated. And in particular, because a big part of our value proposition is bringing more precision to this industry, is giving more accuracy to the carbon accounting process. And we wouldn't really be able to do that without the deep domain expertise. And and so we were able to get on board, and uh, again, an incredible person called Caroline. She comes with 12 years of experience in carbon accounting. She's amazing because she's representative of an end user. She has done this manually herself in large corporates before, but she's also worked as a product manager on tech products in the sustainability space and has assisted business development teams. So she's this sort of unicorn Swiss army knife of a deep domain expert in carbon accounting, but that can also bring all the skills that a startup, you know, that is very early stage and where everybody needs to be getting their hands dirty, all of those skills that we need. So as you can tell, I'm super, super excited to have her on board. We've been working with her for just under a month and she's genuinely She's one of those hires where everything that happened before her seems like nothing compared to what's happened since she joined. So yeah, super, super happy with that. In terms of what comes next, unfortunately, the answer is not that exciting because it's a pretty staple answer. We need to scale product. We need to scale sales. And behind that comes hopefully recruiting some of the best technical talent in the world. Also, not scaling our sales up team too much, but at the end of the day, this is a long sales cycle enterprise sales that requires a lot of handholding. And we are looking for passionate people who, who are able to help with the mechanics of sales, but really care about the mission as well. Because at the end of the day, until we are a 15 person startup, we're all going to have to be doing a little bit of everything. And I think that's one of the real competitive advantages of working on something like what we're working on. Not only have we found it easier to at least get conversations with you know, some of the top talent in the world, both from a technical and a sales perspective, but also the people that we talk with are more than happy to say, you know, it doesn't matter if my last salary used to be 200 grand, 300 grand a year. They're happy to come on board and have to move boxes with us if that's what it takes, because they know that. At the end of the day, the reason that we are doing it as a founding team, not just the three founders, but also George and Caroline, who we definitely consider part of the founding team, we're doing it for the mission, right? No one's here for the big bucks. The financial outcome is important. We have a duty to our investors, but really our profitability should just be attached to our impact. And and that makes it easier to find amazing people. Wow. So, Mauro, what I want to do is, before we part ways, I love asking these last two questions. And we'll start with yourself personally. 
who has had the greatest impact on your learning and why? Oof, that's a tough question. It's a tough question because genuinely there's been so, so, so many people along the way that I, it's very easy to say I would never be able to do anything if I hadn't been for their advice, etc. But to give you a cliche answer, and I'm sorry, but it's just true, it's certainly my parents. I mean, at the end of the day, they really did, you know, try to create every single opportunity that, that they could just to make sure that I was inquisitive and had a fun and, and happy life, but also cared and cared about things that mattered. And it is impossible to equate any of the help that I've received in any other ways, even though it has been so great, you know, versus the, the sort of how they, how they brought me up, I guess. That's awesome. The last question for you is, what are you most excited for over the next two, three years for Emitwise? Impact, man. <laughs> I, you know, our impact KPI is how many tons of CO2. We have two. So how many tons of CO2 have we tracked? And then how many tons of CO2 have we helped avoid through, you know, through people using our software? And, you know, the second number for now is at zero because we haven't been able to yet see any results. And the first number is slowly climbing. But I'm really, I, I can't even, I can't imagine yet what will be the order of magnitude where either of those numbers are in three years. But I just hope that it's growing exponentially. And it's not for a selfish reason. It's just because I really think we need to see, you know, exponential transformation across the entire stack of climate. And we are a big part of that. So what I want to do is roll the red carpet for you. Are there any final call to actions, hiring needs, announcements that you want to leave with our listeners? The floor is yours. I, I appreciate it, Peter. Well, look, I'll toot my own horn a little bit, but then I'll make a more general call to action if you would. Uh, first and foremost, we're always looking for incredible talent. We want the most passionate people in the world Right now, specifically, we're hiring tech, machine learning talent, uh, full stack engineers and sales. Our careers page will be updated in the next week or so. So please do reach out. Also, we're always looking for early customers that are wanting to be leaders in this transformation to come talk to us and, and run pilots with us so they can see the benefits of our solution. But more generally to just any listener out there, whether it's just an individual or someone who works in a large corporate and, and is able to influence how that business works. I think my biggest takeaway from you know this short-lived journey so far, uh, building a midwise, has been that there's always something that you can do that is an easy win to start mitigating your footprint. Whatever that is, in every case, every conversation we've had with customers, there is always something easy and cost-effective that you can do. And that is sort of the gateway to then caring more and wanting to do more. So anybody that is listening to this should walk away and go scratch their heads and think, what can I do tomorrow to cut my footprint by 10%, figure that out, and then go and do it. Wow. Ro, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you, Peter. It's been a great conversation. Really appreciate it. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing and writing us a review. Also... If you have any recommendations about a founder or a company that you'd like to see on the show, let us know. Message us on social at InGoodHands. Also, special shout out to Dan Mahoney, who produced this week's episode, and Eddie Knuckles, our music director. I'm your host, Peter Levin. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Peter A. Levin. And that's it. Looking forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.